goodness. Can we give it up for our worship team one more time tonight? Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. All right. Uh, so grateful for um, those that are in the house and watching online that you're choosing to spend Christmas Eve with us. Uh, we are humbled by that, and um, we don't take it lightly. And that's why the message that we have to share tonight is such an important one, because it, uh, it changes everything. What we're, what we're celebrating tonight, who we're worshiping to tonight, what we're talking about tonight changes everything. Everything. And it's an incredible one. Before we get started on the sermon, I do want to just remind you, if you didn't get a communion cup on your way in, you can get those. If you're watching online, go find something in your house, whether it's bread, juice, it doesn't matter, something that will be a remembrance of communion. We're going to be doing that at the end of the sermon here in about 20 minutes or so. Um, but I want to jump right in tonight and just let you know right off the bat that this is not your typical Christmas Eve sermon because we have not had a typical year. Amen? <laughs> we need a little bit more juice tonight because it's been tough. It's been a rough 2020, and to say anything else would, would kind of be irresponsible, I think. But here's the thing. In all of it, I, I want to I say this, and, and all of us understand that this is so true, that God, before 2020 and during it, he was never, like, taken aback by it, right? He was never put off by it. He was never mad about it. He saw this coming, all right? This, this year did not just slip out of God's authority and out of his control by accident and just got away from him. All right, this was part of the plan, okay? God saw this year come and said, yes, I'm going to use this to glorify me. And I'm going to use this for my kingdom. And ultimately, what I believe in my experience with the church and its experience as a whole, not just here at Beaches Chapel, but the church, God has used this year to bring us back to the exact place where we were supposed to be from the very beginning, from the onset, when he created Adam and Eve, God has used this year to bring us back into relationship with him. And I, if I'm being candid with you, if I'm being honest with you, I believe before this year, we were kind of in cruise control. Just kind of had our relationship with the Lord. It was good, and on hard days, we'd go for him, and on bad days, or good days, you know, yeah, maybe, whatever. But it was, it was comfortable. But I, I think if you've been walking with the Lord long enough, you know that comfort is not really something that he likes very much. He likes to get us out of our comfort zone, to stretch us, to allow us to grow, and to use us in ways that we never thought possible before. And so that's what this is. This, this whole year, I believe with all my heart that God has drawn us back to his fir our first love, which is him, to be in relationship with him. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is relationship. And what that really means. Because we know, we know that the most important thing to God is our relationship with him. All we have to do is read out of Matthew 22. We're not going to look there, but you can look for yourself later. Matthew 22, the Pharisees approach Jesus. And they're going to try and trap him, right? Try and test him, which is comical. But they go to him and they, and they ask him, you know, Jesus, okay, you're so great. You're so awesome. You're so knowledgeable. You're the son of God. Okay, whatever. Then tell us this. What is the most important commandment? And then they kind of want to take a step back. Ooh, I got him on that one, right? And Jesus, he doesn't go, oh, man, that's, that is a good question. I never thought about that before. There's all these commandments that are so good. Where would we begin? What could possibly be the most important one? He doesn't answer that. He says this is simple, easy. I know exactly what it is. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he goes on to say this most mind-boggling thing that we do not give enough attention to. He says, all the law and the prophets fall under these two commands. Translation, if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor, everything else will fall into place. Think about that. Everything will fall into place. So what we know out of Jesus' mouth himself is that relationship Loving God first and loving other people is what matters most. And so if we can focus on that, everything else falls into place. And there is no asterisk that says, except for the hard years. Or except when I lose my job. Or except when this happens or that happens. No, everything falls into place if we just choose to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And tonight, we are not, listen, we are not celebrating the birth of a baby. That's, that's only half the miracle. What we are celebrating is the birth of Jesus so that we can have a relationship with him. Because if we just stop at the birth, we are, we are robbing ourselves of the, end, of the whole point of it. The point, the, the real miracle is that God looked at us looked at this earth, saw how we lived, saw how we would neglect and reject and treat him and say, you know what? I'm still going to send my son to earth to be born, to live, to die, and to be raised again so that I can have a relationship with them. That is the miracle. That is what we're celebrating, that God loves us. That's the miracle. And so the question tonight is, will we love him back? Will you have a relationship with him? Because I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, to know of Jesus changes nothing. To know Jesus changes everything. And that's the difference. That's the difference. It's not about knowing which church is on which street corner or maybe even tithing every Sunday or coming to church every Sunday or not doing this and not doing that. It's about knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And then all those other things fall into place. It's not enough to know about him. You gotta know him, and that is what he has called us to. And listen, before 2020 ever began, before Jesus was born, long after this year, long after we're gone, before we were born, all that stuff, this is what God said. Listen to these words through the prophet Isaiah regarding Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called, check this out, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Anyone in here need a counselor? In Jesus, you have a wonderful one. Anyone in here need God? In Jesus, you have a mighty God. Can we just pause on that one for a second? God is not little. He is not inferior he is a mighty God, a lot mightier than we are. Just like to add that. He is the everlasting Father. Everlasting Father means he's, He was here before and He's going to be here after. Nothing is going to outlast God. Nothing. And He is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. I've, I've met, you know, I feel like I say this every Sunday, but I'll say it again tonight. It's not Sunday, so it doesn't count. But man, I just, my heart hurts 
for people that live in this world today that don't have the Prince of Peace at their disposal. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. You know, when you're the Prince of Peace, you have peace at your disposal. You can just give it out as much as you want. There is no end. And that is Jesus to us. He is our Prince of Peace. When we can understand that Jesus came as all these things, and we can, when we can wrap our mind and our heart and our arms around Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. I want to read a story out of John 14, actually. This is not, we're not talking about the birth right now. We're going to go into when Jesus is ministering and he's talking to his disciples. And, he's, and I believe it relates to, to what we want to talk about tonight. And it says this in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to say that again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If, th if this were not so, why would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is telling the disciples this because in the chapter before, in John 13, he tells them, he kind of drops a bomb on him. He says, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm going away. And of course, their reaction is a lot like our reaction would be. What? You know, panic, fear. And so he follows that up in the first verse of John 14 by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. He actually says, when he says, well, I'm going to read it exactly. Trust in God and untrust in me also. He, he, what he's saying there is, is, is really a mind-boggling statement in this moment that he's having with the disciples. Because what he's saying, he's saying, the way that you trust God, trust me. Because I am God. Because I am the wonderful counselor. I am the everlasting father, the mighty God, the prince of peace. I am those things and I'm here among you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me the way you do God because I am God. And this is blowing their minds because they can touch him. They can see him. They can hear him. And he's among them. He was born to be among them so that we could have a relationship with him so that he could look in our eyes so we could read the word of God and hear him say, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. I came so that your heart wouldn't be troubled. Merrill Tenney, the theologian, says this. He says, Jesus' solution to perplexity is not a recipe. It is a relationship with him. Amen. And so what that means is when we try to not allow our heart to be troubled or how we try and deal with circumstances and situations and hardships in our life and we relate it to Jesus... We like to be formulaic with it, and we like to have a recipe for it. If I do X, Y, and Z, then this will happen. And if I, if I go to church, if I stop cussing, if I don't drink as much, if I don't do drugs, if I stop flirting with my coworker, or stop looking at pornography, if I can just be a better person, then my heart won't be troubled. And so we take that approach, and rather than having relationship, what we have is a big ball of religion. And what comes with that is frustration and bitterness. And the, the whole irony is, is we blame it on Jesus when the whole time we haven't had a relationship with him at all. We've been trying to be our own savior under the guise of Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with us. So that's why he says, trust me, not trust you. 
Trust yourself. Work hard. Be a better person. No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbors and everything else will fall under that. That person that we're trying to be out of our own strength and our own merit, we don't become that out of ourselves. We become that by having a relationship with Jesus. And as we grow closer to him, then all of a sudden we look back and we're now that person we were trying to be all that time. But it's not all this, this strain and this, this aggravation. It's being in love with a Savior who thought enough of us to be born in a manger and to live a life and to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, so that he could look at us and say, don't let your hearts be troubled. It goes on to say this in verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going? And I love Thomas's response here. He says, no, we don't. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? I love the honesty there. Jesus says, you know the way. No, we don't know the way. You haven't told us. Because the disciples are thinking, what, you going to Nazareth? You going back to Bethlehem, Judea, Jerusalem? Where are you going, Jesus? We don't know. You need to tell us. And then maybe we can know the way. And so what happens? They're, listen, their lives have been turned upside down. This, this Savior, this Messiah that they've been following for three years has told them they're about to leave, and he hasn't said where they're going. And then he says, you know the way. No, we don't. And so panic and fear have set in because of the unknown. Because they don't have the answers. They don't have the answers to the questions that they are asking. And listen to what Jesus says. In verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way. I am the truth. and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So when the disciples are thinking he's going off to this town or that town or the other, Jesus is like, no, 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 y'all don't get it. I'm not going there or there. I'm going there. I'm going up. My destination is back to the Father. And so you want to know how to get to the ultimate destination? It's me. I am the way. It's not a place on a map. It's not something you can plug into your phone and it'll tell you where to go. It's a person. Jesus is the way. And he will lead us through every storm and every season and every difficult year because he is the way. I love. Listen to this real quick and just see if this sounds like you. I'm wandering about. I don't know where I am going. Jesus is the way. I'm confused. I don't know what to think. Jesus is the truth. I'm dead inside and don't know if I can go on. Jesus is the life. When we know him, it changes everything. It changes everything. Verse 8, Philip goes on to say to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Bold request, Philip. Remember, the disciples have just spent these last years hearing Jesus preach, going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, healing the lame, letting the blind see, healing the lepers, walking on water, telling the winds and the waves to stop, water into wine, raising a dead man after four days to life. They've seen it all. And here Philip says, if you show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. What? What? And lightning came down and struck Philip where he was, dead, right? (laughs) No, it doesn't say that. Is it ever enough? We want this physical proof. And I think what Philip is is, is showing us here, that if you're asking for this physical proof, it's never going to be enough. If Philip needed to ask that in this moment, 
It's never gonna be enough. So we have to go back to what Jesus said when he first started in this chapter, trust me. Trust me. Another word in the Greek is believe. And, and the verb that, it, that Jesus is using there is not a suggestive verb. It's an imperative. He's, he's commanding them. And I would go so far to say as he's daring them to believe in him. Say, believe in me and I'll show you. Believe it. But if you're looking for facts and you're looking for us to say, if you do this, then, then I'll be satisfied. You're going to be waiting a long time. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 9, he replies, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Oof. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. And I believe that if there was a statement for America, that might be the one. I've been with you all this time and you still don't know me? You've heard about me? You might know the Jesus in the manger scene story by heart. You might, not, you might even know every single Christmas carol. You give to the poor, you do all this stuff, but you still don't know me. What you're missing is a relationship with me. And that's what I wanna ask you all in here, and that are joining us online tonight. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough. He wants, he wants more. He wants more. Not just us. God wants more. He didn't come down here to be born and put in a pig trough so that we could answer trivia about him. He wants our heart. He wants our heart so that we can live a life where we can say, my heart is not troubled because I have a wonderful counselor. I have a mighty God. I have an everlasting father and I have a prince of peace because I don't just know about him. I know him. My daughter, my oldest daughter, when she was younger, I don't know, three or four, something like that. Don't quote me. I don't know the age. But very serious problem in our house where she didn't think she liked bacon. And we would cook. Listen, our house is committed to bacon in Jesus' name, okay? It is good. And I can't cook a lot of things, most things. I almost burned the house down last night just making some chicken. But I did it, and we ate, and no one got sick. But I can make bacon. And so when she was like three or four years old, I'm like, Cassie, Try the bacon. She's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm like, it's, it's so good. You don't know what you're missing. And she knew the smell of it. And she knew that she'd see us eat it. But she would never try it. And then one glorious day, the skies parted. The angels came down. The glory of the Lord shone about our kitchen table. And she took a piece of bacon. And she took a bite of it. And you could see the joy of the Lord <laughs> fill her countenance changed, right? The glory of the Lord shone about our whole kitchen because she went from knowing about bacon to tasting and seeing that it was good. And now, 
I look back and it was kind of a mistake on my part. <laughs> because I'll cook bacon and then, you know, they, they, we have a two-story. And all of a sudden you just hear down into the kitchen and like, I haven't even fixed my plate. They're like, give me the bacon, daddy. <sighs> I'm not even asking anymore. And it's half gone before I've even had any. The Bible says of the Lord, taste and see that he is good. Yes. Taste and see. And you know what that is? That's God being confident in who he is. And knowing that once we do take that bite, we will see and we will know that he is a mighty God, that he is a wonderful counselor, that he is an everlasting father and a prince of peace. But we can't sit at the table and just stare at the plate. We got to take a bite. And if you're waiting for the bacon to hop off the plate and jump in your mouth, it ain't going to happen. That's not how God works. That's not how relationships work. You have to make a choice to taste and see, not study it and see, not observe it and see, not know the facts about it and see, but to taste and see that he is good. And he will change your life because the miracle of Jesus is that he changes everything. He changes everything. He does. And we wanna offer that to you tonight after I find my place in my notes. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we talked this past Sunday um, we mentioned the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and really the difference in his life. And the change was that he had a revelation of God and he tasted that he was good. He went from, think about this, persecuting and arresting people because they were part of the church, to tasting and seeing that God was good, to then him being arrested because he was building the church. He went from knowing of God to knowing God. And it changed everything for him. Later on in the chapter of John chapter 14, starting in verse 27, it says this. He says, I am, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something to that says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give and also that we ourselves cannot give ourselves. I can't give myself the peace that Jesus can give me. My wife, who I love more than anything in the world, cannot give me the peace that Jesus can. Nothing in the world can give the peace that Jesus gives. He is it. He is the only one. It's a gift, though. And just like tomorrow morning, when the kiddos come running down the stairs or into the living room, wherever they're coming from, like a herd of rhinos, <laughs> they're not going to stare at the presents and go, all right, y'all can go ahead and unwrap yourselves now. <laughs> they are going to dive into those gifts and shred all the paper everywhere because they know that a gift has to be opened. It has to be received. A gift doesn't open itself. And so Jesus has given this gift of himself to us. This gift of having a relationship with the creator of all things, of the heavens and the earth. And the question is, will we open it? Will we begin a relationship with him or will we settle on just knowing about him? 
Well, we settle with saying, yeah, there's presents under the tree. That's cool. They're this shape and that shape, and they have this bow and that and all that stuff. I know of them. I know of the gifts. Are we going to open them? Are we going to receive the gift of Jesus that changes everything in our lives? You know, the miracle of Jesus, it's, it's not, well, first, it's not a once a month out of the year miracle. It is a every day of every year of our entire lives miracle. We focus on and on in, in make a bigger deal out of it in December. But the truth is, it is a forever miracle. It is a forever miracle. But that peace that he's talking about in John 14, 27, it's not just the peace to feel better about what the world is going through, right? Or about our finances. The peace that he's talking about is a peace that says, hey, hey, I got you. And I have made a way for you to go where I'm going because I am the way. So I've given you me so that you can spend eternity with me. And the peace that he's talking about there is, what, is, is him saying, look, stop trying to do it all yourself. You can't. You can't do it. Have peace. Don't worry about who you were before. The guilt, the shame, those secrets that you hide from everybody else. Guess what? I see those. And you know what? I still love you. So you can have peace about that. You can rest again. You can stop beating yourself up and thinking that you're nothing and then taking it out on everybody else around you. And you can stop spinning your wheels trying to be this person that is going to qualify you for my love and qualify you for heaven. That sentence that you keep saying, if I could just be a better person, I've taken that out of your mouth and I've replaced it with the peace and the understanding that I have done it for you because I love you. It changes everything. It changes everything. So tonight, I want to give all of us in here an opportunity to unwrap the present, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to not just know about him, but to know him in a real, real way to have a relationship with him, what he intended all along. And all the Bible says you have to do is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And he will come into your heart and he will be that way. And you will never again have to ask, how do I be a better person? Instead, you say, Jesus, help me. And he'll come in. And he will change your life because he changes everything. So let's do that tonight. Let's just right where we're at. Let's just close our eyes and let's bow our heads. And let's pray this prayer that begins a relationship with Jesus. Let's stop just knowing about him and let's really know him. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you were born that you lived, that you died, and that you were raised again for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart and to be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, y'all, 
It's as simple as believing. It's as simple as what we just prayed. And I do want to encourage you, whether you're watching online or if you're in here, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, find myself after the service, find Pastor Tina. She was up here giving the tithes and announcements. Find one of us or anyone in the band, whoever it is. If someone you see working here, and let them know because we want to pray with you and we just want to hug you or elbow you, whatever it is. <laughs> and just encourage you. Because it changes everything. It really does. If you're watching online, you can email us. You can call the church. You can email us at info at beachschapel.com. Just let us know. But it's a huge deal. And what I want to do now is have everybody stand up. And we're going to receive communion tonight. The band's going to come up and we're going to close with one more song. And I do want to read tonight. I'd be remiss if we didn't. Out of Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Listen, God didn't send Jesus to make a crazy world peaceful. He sent Jesus to bring peace into a crazy world. And that's exactly what he did. And we, re we receive him and we accept his sacrifice and we open up that gift of his love for us. This crazy world might keep spinning, but we walk with the peace of our savior with us. And we can say, my heart is not troubled because I have the love of Jesus and I have a relationship with him and it changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we thank you that you're not looking for us to be a robot. You're not looking for us to be anything more than who you created us to be. And that's someone who you dearly love and want to have a relationship with. And Father, I pray right now, Jesus, that we would all, everybody in here, would understand that more and more, what a relationship with you truly is. And Father, though tonight is Christmas Eve and we're celebrating your birth, God, your birth was just the beginning. You were born to die. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we honor you in that tonight. We listen to your command to remember your sacrifice for your body, Lord, that was bruised, beaten, broken, and nailed to a cross when all that time you could have stopped it you stayed on the cross 
you endured that pain so that you could be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. And so God, tonight we say thank you, thank you, thank you for your body that was broken, Lord Jesus. And so right now, Lord, we take this bread in remembrance of that sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Father, we we also thank you so much for your blood that was spilled for us. Lord, your word says that your mercies are new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness. And God, we thank you, Lord, that when we mess up, when we commit that same sin that we so badly want to stop doing, we can come to you and we can say, Father, forgive me. And you're quick to forgive us. And you wash us clean with your blood that erases all sin. Father, we're, thank- we're so thankful for that. That you don't hold past offenses and sins over our head. You remove them the second that we come to you and you wash us clean. And you say, let's go forward. And we can do that day after day after day, Lord, because of your blood that was shed on the cross because you were that spotless lamb that took our place and said, I've got this. God, we thank you again. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. So right now, Father, we take this cup in remembrance of that blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our band has one more song for us tonight, and then we will let y'all get out of here and eat and do your absolute best to put your kids to bed. Amen. Uh